everyone. It's Natasha Crane. Well, it's been a few weeks since I've done a podcast, mostly because our homeschool year started, and so I've been quite busy with that, but I've been dying to record a new episode because so many things have been going on in in culture, and there's so much that I've been wanting to talk about. So I have a really important episode for you today on cancel culture and how it will affect you. So I'm excited to talk about that, but I just want to start off by telling you guys, if you are a podcast subscriber, but you don't follow me on social media or you don't subscribe to my blog, you might have missed a really big announcement that I made a couple of weeks ago, and that is that my new book, Faithfully Different, Regaining Biblical Clarity in a Secular Culture, is now available for pre-order. So it doesn't come out until February 8th. It's still a little while. But I want to tell you about it because if you plan to get it, it would be really helpful to me if you would pre-order it. And the reason for that is that when people pre-order books, that collective momentum raises the books in the rankings on places like Amazon, and then more people see it. So it's kind of like an early snowball to get visibility. So if the book sounds interesting to you and it's a message that you would like more people to hear about, I would love it if you could take the time to pre-order it. But let me tell you a little bit about what it is so you even know if it's something that you'd want. So the first thing I want to say is that if you're familiar with my prior books, Faithfully Different is actually my first one that isn't about parenting. Rather, it is written to help the church at large regain clarity about what it means to have a biblical worldview in a secular culture. So more specifically, the core ideas of the book can be laid out as follows. Number one, if you have a biblical worldview today, you're now in a worldview minority. And I've talked about this in some of my previous podcast episodes. Number two, the dominant worldview of the culture around us, a strident secularism, is fundamentally at odds with the biblical worldview. And by the way, you're going to see that a lot in today's podcast episode. Number three, this opposing and often hostile secularism is putting extensive pressure on what Christians believe, the ways our beliefs inform how we think, and how we live out our faith. And that leads us to number four. We have to each regain clarity on what it should look like to be faithfully different from today's world for number one, the health of our own relationship with the Lord, and number two, our ability to effectively be salt and light to others. And in the announcement that I posted on my blog, I made this note, and I want to share it with you also. If you love the Lord, it is inevitable to feel the gravity of where we are as a culture and where we seem to be headed. And a lot of books addressing the intersection of faith and culture are honestly pretty depressing. At least I feel that way when I read some of them. But the last thing that I want is for this book to leave you feeling like you're living under some kind of dark cloud. We have to confront the grim reality of where we are as a culture and where we fit within that as Christians. But ultimately, Faithfully Different is a book to help Christians see our current cultural context as a God-honoring opportunity to be faithfully different. The foreword was written by John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. And it also has endorsements from Greg Kokel, Erwin Lutzer, Nancy Piercy, Jay Warner Wallace, Frank Turek, Jeff Myers, Elisa Childers, Sean McDowell, Mike Winger, Scott Klusendorf, Michael Lycona, and Dan Kemble. So if you don't believe me, believe some of those guys. Those are all people that I just really respect and admire, and I'm very honored to have their endorsements on the book. So I hope you'll check it out. If you haven't looked at the details yet, you can go on my website website, natashacrane.com. Crane is C-R-A-I-N. 
And if you go to the blog, you can see my announcement post that was there from a couple of weeks ago. And also there's a book page there where you can go to it and you can see on the menu all the details with the table of contents and the endorsements. So thanks in advance for checking that out. Okay, on to today's topic, the fast but quiet creeping of everyday cancel culture. Three things that Christians need to know. I'm going to start this by telling you about a story that you may or may not have heard about. And I've been wanting to talk about this topic ever since I saw it. So last month, the CEO of video game maker Tripwire Interactive was made to step down from his job just 53 hours after he tweeted support for the new Texas abortion law, which banned abortion after the baby's heartbeat can be detective. Here's what he said. This is the offensive tweet that apparently warranted the loss of his job. He said this, Proud of U.S. Supreme Court affirming the Texas law banning abortion for babies with a heartbeat. As an entertainer, I don't get political often. Yet with so many vocal peers on the other side of this issue, I felt it was important to go on the record as a pro-life game developer. That's it. That is it. He merely stated his view that he supports protecting unborn babies from being killed. But having a different view was too much for cancel culture to handle. The pressure came quickly. A co-developer called Shipwright Studios tweeted a statement the next day in which they said they would be canceling any existing contracts with Tripwire Interactive because they could not, quote, in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership structure. Now here is their full statement, which I think is important for you to hear so you can see how they're framing this. And we're going to break this down later in the episode. But here's what they said. While your politics are your own, the moment you make them a matter of public discourse, you entangle all of those working for and with you. We have worked closely alongside the talented and passionate developers at Tripwire and your partners for the last three plus years. We know it is difficult for employees to speak up or act out in these scenarios, and they may not feel comfortable to speak their minds. It is regrettable, but we feel it would be doing ourselves, your employees, your partners, and the industry as a whole a disservice to allow this pattern to continue without comment. We started Shipwright with the idea that it was finally time to put our money where our mouth is. We cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire under the current leadership structure. We will begin the cancellation of our existing contracts effective immediately. Almost unbelievably, Shipwright Studios has an About Us page that has a section labeled, quote, Moral Compass. And as part of that, they say, while we don't have the power to change the industry as a whole, we do have the power to change the way we conduct our business with it. We are ready to put our money where our mouth is and lend our voice to further causes that promote diversity and inclusion, preferring to work with clients working towards the same goals, which only serve to enrich the industry to which we have devoted the entirety of our careers. Wow. So I'm guessing you didn't hear about this particular story, or if you did, you probably shook your head and moved on with your day, and maybe that's kind of how you're feeling right now. But that's the whole point of this episode. Actions like these are taking place every day across nearly every, if not every, industry. People are losing jobs for publicly sharing views that differ from what's been deemed acceptable by secular culture. This happens all the time in academia. It happens in Hollywood. It happens all the time in the press. And even, if not especially, 
in personal relationships. Numerous people have been canceled by friends or family in the last couple of years simply because of what they believe. And I include myself in that. I have personally experienced that and I know so many others who have as well. You might collectively call this the everyday kind of cancel culture. Yes, there are still high-profile cancel culture examples that grab sustained public attention, but it's the everyday cancel culture that picks off person after person without all the national attention that is far more insidious because the cumulative seriousness of what's happening isn't obvious to most people. Meanwhile, everyday cancel culture rolls on with major implications that Christians need to understand. So here are three things that you need to know. Number one, cancel culture is deeply rooted in today's pervasive secular social justice ideology. So it's not going away anytime soon. It might be tempting to talk all this up to mere social hysteria, a this too shall pass kind of phenomenon, but that's a really dangerous and incorrect assumption to have. If we think that, we're not going to take this seriously, and we need to take it very seriously. So to understand why, you have to see that cancel culture's major ideological roots grow several decades deep. This is not something that is freshly springing out of society's topsoil, and those roots are called critical theory. So critical theory as an academic subject is quite complex, but in its popular manifestations, here's the basic idea, which is a worldview unto itself. The world is divided into two groups, those who are oppressed, the powerless, and those who are oppressors, the powerful. Those who are in the identity groups considered to be oppressed, for example, women, people of color, the LGBT community, these are victims of the social structure that has empowered the oppressors. You've probably heard quite a bit in the media, at least in passing, about critical race theory in particular, but that's just one theory in the critical theory family, the one that deals with race-based oppression specifically. The basic ideological structure of critical theory has become the de facto lens through which secularists view social justice, and it's becoming entrenched in nearly every major cultural institution. I wrote an article last year about why social justice warriors, those who hold to this secular social justice ideology, so often hate Christians and why Christianity is incompatible with this. If that's something that you want to learn more about, I'm going to put a link to that article in the show notes. But what does all this critical theory stuff have to do with cancel culture? Well, here's the big idea. This is what you really have to understand. And when I started to pick up these pieces and put them together, it was sort of a mind-blown moment for me because I didn't realize all these connections. In the context of critical theory, canceling people is seen as a tool of the oppressed to deal with the sins of the oppressors. I'm going to say that again because it's so important. In the context of critical theory, Canceling people is seen as a tool of the oppressed to deal with the sins of the oppressors. So that brings us to an important second point. But the bottom line in this first one is that critical theory and cancel culture are integrally related concepts. And because critical theory is becoming so firmly entrenched throughout culture, cancel culture is likely here to stay for a very long time as well. Now, don't forget about point number one, because point number two follows straight from it. And here it is. Cancel culture sees itself as taking the moral high ground. 
So those who aren't steeped in the views of critical theory typically see cancel culture as a bad thing. I'm guessing that if you're listening to this podcast that you would agree with that. It's sort of seen as this dictatorial shutting down of opposing viewpoints, and I would say rightly so. But if you understand it in the context of critical theory, it suddenly makes sense why proponents of cancel culture actually see it as a good thing. Here's the deal. The harsh actions involved with canceling people are assumed to be morally justified because they're thought to be taken on behalf of the oppressed. You see, when everything is framed either implicitly or explicitly in terms of a fight against evil oppression, a lot of leeway will be given to what's considered to be acceptable action. The problem here that you might be picking up on is how one defines oppression. Note that Shipwright Studios, the company that canceled Tripwire for having a pro-life CEO, said in their so-called moral compass statement that they want to lend their voice to further causes that promote diversity and inclusion. From a Christian perspective, it's hard to imagine how they can't see the irony in claiming that they champion diversity and inclusion while canceling a relationship with a company whose CEO has a different view on the sanctity of life. But once again, understanding cancel culture's critical theory roots sheds light on why people like the shipwright leadership don't see it as ironic at all. See, they believe they have the moral high ground on this issue because they see it as a matter of reproductive justice. It's all about justice in their eyes, a good fight for what is just, and in this case, reproductive justice. Within the framework of feminist critical theory, it's considered unjust for a woman to not have the choice to have an abortion. In other words, the pro-life view is seen as oppressive to women. Shipwright and like-minded companies and organizations and individuals literally see themselves as the moral heroes and the moral protectors of society based on their own secular standard of justice. Obviously, they don't consider the injustice done to the preborn infant who's killed in this scenario, but they do see themselves as the protectors and executors of justice. So when they say in their statement that they cannot in good conscience continue to work with Tripwire, they're making it clear that they believe they're the good guys. And when they say that they would be doing the industry a disservice to quote-unquote allow a fellow industry CEO to have a public pro-life viewpoint, they're making it clear that they think canceling people for so-called oppressive views is actually a moral obligation. So you can see in all of this that cancel culture doesn't see anything that they're doing as actually a bad thing. They actually see themselves as taking the moral high ground because they believe that they're fighting for the oppressed. And that brings us to the third point. Cancel culture will ultimately be at odds with Christianity because it has a different standard of justice. Cancel culture proponents can make it sound like a good thing, given the critical theory-based train of thought that we just looked at. But Christians need to understand that it will continually be at odds with Christianity, no matter how good it sounds, because secular culture has a different standard of justice, as we began to see in that last point. So take, for example, these words from an article by progressive Vox writer Aja Romano. 
He says, the idea of canceling began as a tool for marginalized communities to assert their values against public figures who retained power and authority even after committing wrongdoing. In similar ways, both wokeness and canceling are tied to collectivized demands for more accountability from social systems that have long failed marginalized people and communities. Taken in good faith, the concept of canceling a person is really about questions of accountability. So the way that Romano is making it sound, this is just about making sure that people aren't hurting other people. And a lot of people have actually tried to recast all of this cancel culture stuff as quote unquote consequence culture to emphasize the idea here that it's really just about mere accountability. We don't want people out there hurting other people and so we're trying to keep them accountable. But accountability assumes a standard to be accountable too. And therein lies the problem. As I explained in Faithfully Different, which I was telling you about at the beginning of this episode, one of the biggest problems with secular social justice from a biblical perspective is that it lacks an objective standard for defining justice in the first place. In secular social justice, oppression is often defined with respect to how people feel about dominant groups imposing their norms, values, and expectations on society as a whole. And that doesn't necessarily correspond with what would be considered oppressive from a biblical perspective. As a result, people today are often being canceled for stating ideas that are wrong in the eyes of the world, but not wrong in the eyes of God. So when a person like Romano states that cancel culture is really just about accountability for when people, quote, say or do bad things, it sounds reasonable on the surface, but it's actually a really dangerous idea. It implies that people are accountable to a mob that's ready to take action as soon as someone's words or actions stray away from the mob's own standard of justice. So where does all this leave Christians? Well, that could be a whole other episode, and maybe I'll do that in the future. But given the factors discussed here, we can expect cancel culture to affect us personally and indefinitely. This mentality, you guys, is not going away. You should just expect to be canceled in some way for stating what you believe, because we as Christians are seen as the bad guys now. We are literally seen as the oppressors. And again, I explained the view of critical theory versus Christianity in that article I was talking about. So I encourage you to check that out to go deeper in it. But just because people see us as the bad guys doesn't mean that we should be silent. In fact, it means exactly the opposite. We need to be bolder than ever. We need to be bold enough to speak when people call us oppressors by their own standard and cut us off from relationships, from positions, from opportunities. We've got to be bold enough to act when people move to stop us in every way. We've got to be bold enough to love according to what God wants for people rather than what they want for themselves. It's time for salt and light to really mean something. It's not a cutesy phrase to put on the back of a t-shirt. It's our calling to preserve truth in a decaying culture and to shine light in a dark world. Let's be sure that we fear God more than we ever fear the temporal cancellation weapons of man. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I hope to have a next podcast for you sooner than this one came out. But in the meantime, if you're enjoying the episodes, would you just take a minute in whatever podcast player that you're listening to, whether it's Apple or if it's CastBox, whatever the case is, would you take a minute to give it a rating and leave just a few words of recommendation for others so that they can come across it and check it out? I'd really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, and I'll look forward to talking with you soon.
Bye-bye.